Let us pray. Jesus, we are here this morning in your presence, and it's sweet. We're here to worship, to remind ourselves of all you've done and all that you're doing. And now as we hear from your word, we pray that you meet us exactly where we are, that you break down the walls in our lives, the, the hurts, the things that are blinding us to see you. Give us ears to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Our scripture today comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 15, verses 22 through chapter 16, verse 3. Then Moses ordered Israel to set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went there three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? He cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he put them to the test. He said, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give heed to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will not bring upon you any of the diseases that I brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they camped there by the water. The whole congregation of the Israelites set out from Elam, and Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the Israelites complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread, for you have brought us into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The word of the Lord. Trail magic. Now, maybe you've never heard these words before, but anyone that likes hiking or camping or anything may be familiar with the phrase trail magic. Now, before I say anything more about camping or hiking, it's worth noting that a, a comedian I love has a good joke about how, you know, people, he doesn't understand why people go outside. Humans lived outside forever. And one day they invented inside, and that's why we stay inside. So why do we keep going outside? And when we read Scripture, it's important to remember that they didn't have the option of inside often. Um, but now, we've been inside so long, we need to go back outside. So I'm someone that loves to go hiking, backpacking, strolling through the woods. I don't know why. You can see my complexion. I get sunburned in about seven minutes Mosquito bites, ticks, all of it happens very quickly. But to avoid all of those things, I started winter camping a few years ago. Now, winter camping is cold, but it's exciting for me because there's no bugs. Um, so it's really a trade-off. So me and my friend Justinian, uh, we were like, yeah, let's try this winter camping thing. And we went on the Appalachian Trail, or Appalachian, 
I know. And we went about 40 miles in three days, which if you've never been backpacking, that's kind of impressive, um, you know, with a backpack, all the weight. Uh, And we had no business being out there because neither of us were prepared for the cold. And we finally get to our first campsite, and uh, we're trying to start a fire for about two hours, and the sun goes down at 4.45, and now it's 17 degrees out, and we're like, we have made a grave error. I guess now it's 6 o'clock, let's get into our sleeping bags and go to sleep. Um, And then some trail magic occurred, where this guy who had, like, the most surfer dude accent comes up. Oh, hey, guys, my name's Aiden. And Aiden had all of the fancy gear you could imagine, and he pulled out what's called a jet boil, a little mini propane thing, a fire, it boils water in 60 seconds, and we were saved. All of our hot soup we had prepared to eat, we were going to eat now. It was so exciting. We didn't have to live off of peanuts and cashews. So the next day, we woke up dreading the fact that we had another 30 miles or so to go and two nights, and we already knew how bad we were at starting fires. And Aiden was like, you should just take this jet boil with you. Just take it, use it, and mail it back to me. Complete stranger, $200 piece of gear, you need it more than I do. Sometimes in the wilderness, there is a little bit of what people now call trail magic. Sometimes we call it divine intervention, sometimes we don't know what to call it, but the moments where everything's going wrong and you are at peace with how hopeless you are, you've lived into it, you're used to it, you've accepted it, and then something else breaks through and intervenes. And in our passage today, we see an interesting situation where um, what comes right before this is the entire saga of Israel being in Egypt. And what's happening in Egypt, for generations, they've been oppressed, they've been slaves, and a tyrannical leader named Pharaoh was worried about Israel, worried that they would outnumber him. And so he continued to come down harder on Israel until God raised up Moses to lead Israel out of Egypt. This is where the famous story of parting the Red Sea, kind of like you guys are today, red carpet, works out. But this picks up right after they get across the Red Sea. And the few verses before our text today are a song by Moses' sister. She leads the entire community in singing this song of praise for all that God had done and all that God will do and that God has led them through the wilderness, through the Red Sea. And then it says, three days in, the struggle began. Three days after this wonderful song was sung, three days after a miracle bigger than all miracles to this point in Scripture had occurred is when the struggle began and the complaints began. Now, it's interesting because Moses takes a completely ordinary thing, again, as God had been doing, throws a piece of wood in the water, and now it's safe to drink. Now, Israel makes it a little bit further by the end of this chapter. Instead of three days, it says they made it, this is weird Bible language, but keep, keep with it, two months, the 15th day of the second month since they had begun. So about two months after that moment, they began to complain again, but this time it was about food. And they said, you know, we, at least when we were in Egypt, we got fed after our long days of terrible work. 
but here you've brought us out to struggle and die in the wilderness. And I think, realistically, this is something we're all familiar with, right? Not necessarily going into the wilderness or winter camping or crossing the Red Sea, but if that's happened, see your doctor immediately. What we're familiar with is when we set out with great intentions and great excitement about something new, and after a few days, or in good scenarios, a few weeks, or in an amazing scenario, a few months, we are no longer excited about that new thing. We are now tired of the new thing, and we no longer want the new thing, and we would rather go back to the things that we know. And maybe that's a new job. Maybe you quit your job and started a new job in the middle of COVID, and now you're wishing you didn't do that. Or maybe it's the new college you transferred to, or maybe it's the new hobby you're picking up, and the guitar calluses just aren't going fast enough. But we often fear the unknown more than the evils that we already know. And it's because we get uncomfortable. And that totally makes sense. But the story of Israel, the story of our Bible is the the idea that God is constantly leading us into a new place. There's countless examples, and it would take the rest of the day to list them all. But what we must remember is that God never wants us to stand still. Israel gets to the other side of the Red Sea, and they recognize that they're leaving one terrible situation, but now they are in the wilderness. Remember, They didn't have inside as an option. Now it is really setting in that their reality is to trust God more than ever before. At least they were used to their routines back in Egypt. But here in the wilderness, anything goes. You threw a piece of wood in the water and that's what we're drinking? Anything goes in the wilderness. And yet, this is what faith is, is stepping into the darkness and trusting God will lead us to the other side. However, there's a thing that goes around in our culture right now called toxic positivity. The idea that anytime something bad in your life happens, you just need to buck up. It's excitement. It's okay. Like, what what could you do to make this situation better? Now, certainly positivity is a good thing, optimism is a good thing, but there are things in our lives that we should grieve. There are things in our lives that are difficult, and it does nobody any good to lie about that. We as a church are in a season of transition. That's difficult. It can be good, but it's difficult. Anyone that's ever lost weight knows it's difficult. It could be good, but it's difficult. Anyone that's gone winter camping knows It's just difficult. (laughs) And yet, at the end of your journey, you might look back and we've got like these redactive memories where we change what we remember. I remember that trip with such fondness and I remember how miserable I was when I think carefully. I'm like, yeah, let's do it again. Israel looks back at the Red Sea and we tell this story in our churches and our children's churches. Maybe that's what they're doing this morning. Wow but they were not saying, wow, three days later. They were not saying, wow, God's awesome, two months and 15 days in. That was the hard time. They were still in the middle of the journey. 
And when people come around with some of that overly optimistic talk, sometimes it can be frustrating because anyone that's lived life for more than about two minutes knows that there is suffering in the world around us. There are hardships, there are struggles, and when the people closest to you are struggling with their health, when the people closest to you are passing away, when someone's lost their job, when the dreams that you were putting all of your energies into die, you get kind of tired of hearing about, well, just be hopeful about tomorrow. Some of the promised land language of the Old Testament starts to sound like a fairy tale, and you feel like, you know what, I'm better off just accepting that this is how it is and moving on. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel of hope. And what Israel needed was hope. And Moses was the leader in this time to give that hope. And every time Israel would get to this new situation, this new hurdle, Moses would step in and he'd lead, and then there'd be a new problem that arose. And then Moses would remind them of what God had already done. And they'd go, all right, great. And they'd be good for two months and 15 days. And then it would happen again. And again and again and again. And all throughout the Old Testament, what we see is a command from the prophets and the leaders of Israel to remember what God has already done so that you can trust what he's going to do. But Israel forgets. And then we get to the New Testament and the disciples watch Jesus walk on water and raise the dead and feed 5,000 plus people and they forget what he's already done and forget what he's going to do. And now it's 2021 and not just our church but churches around the world. We believe in Jesus, we follow Jesus and then we live with all of this anxiety about all of the things that we're going through because we forget what God has already done and we forget Not just what he's going to do, but what he promises he's doing. See, in the Old Testament, Israel is leaving Egypt, going through the wilderness, and going into this sacred place called the Promised Land. we got to get to the Promised Land, the Promised Land. And, And they finally get there. It takes them way longer than they were supposed to get there because they were stubborn. Maybe we'll get to that story another day. They kept forgetting to the point where it kind of put them in circles. God's plan for them got delayed because they didn't want to live into what God was doing. But they get to the promised land. And it's great for like three generations. And guess what? They forget what God was doing. They forget what God had already done. They forget what God had promised to keep doing. They forgot God's commandments. And it falls apart. And this ushers in a time in biblical history called the exile, the time when they're taken out of this promised land and they're sent under the rulers of some other kingdom. This is where all of the majority of the Old Testament comes from, the prophets that say, how can we worship our God in a foreign land? How can we worship our God? How can our God be great if all of these bad things are happening? And then Jesus gets on the scene and ushers in a period of hope. 
But Jesus doesn't talk about going back to the promised land. Jesus talks about something else, and he calls it the kingdom of God. And he uses some analogies. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like. Then, a little further in the Gospels, he says the kingdom of God is coming near. Then he says the kingdom of God is among you. And Jesus' command to the followers in the Gospels is to join him in building that kingdom. And he tells us the bizarre ways that the kingdom operates, that actually in the kingdom of God, the, the last are going to be first and the first are last. In the kingdom of God, the meek are the ones that are blessed. In the kingdom of God, the poor and the widows are the ones that are esteemed higher than all the rest. The kingdom of God changes everything. However, it requires us to remember what God has done so that we can remind ourselves of where we've been to see where we're going. The tricky thing with remembering what God has done is that sometimes we think that means God needs to repeat himself, that God in God's self needs to keep doing what he's already done, but the reality is that remembering where God has brought us from is not so that God will replicate it in the future, but so we can trust God to lead us into the new thing. Imagine the best day you lived your life as an eight-year-old, the greatest day, and you thought to yourself, I just want the rest of my life to be like this moment. That would be great, and yet you would miss out on so many other great things that an eight-year-old can't conceive of. And yet, as we get older, there's parts of us that think, man, I wish I could get back to that kind of joy that I had when I was eight years old. But if we limit ourselves to staying where we are because we're too uncomfortable with where God might be leading us, then we're doomed to repeat the pattern that Israel repeats all throughout Scripture and that the disciples repeat all throughout the Gospels and that the church of 2021 around the world repeats every day. That we say, this is how we've done it, so that's how we'll do it as if God doesn't have room to do new things. And the difficulty is when we get into this mindset where we think the way that it was good before has to be the way that it's good now. And the problem with that is sometimes seasons change. Sometimes the robes come off because it's 90 degrees outside. And if you don't adjust to seasons changing then you're going to be in for a world of hurt. We are not at the end of a pandemic, let's be clear. There are still people struggling around the world. Maybe in Swickley, Pennsylvania, things are under control, but there are people dying around the world in this COVID pandemic. If we don't learn how to adjust our expectations and our hopes and our goals and our vision for the life of the church of Jesus Christ with what we've learned then we're doomed to repeat this same pattern. Now, all of you know probably at this point that I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan, and I think the Chronicles of Narnia have some of the best images of what it means to follow Jesus. But even if you've never read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a book called The Silver Chair, and the Christ figure is this talking lion named Aslan, and he's talking to this character, Jill. And he tells Jill that you need to go into Narnia, and you've got four tasks essentially, to save the world. 
He says, all right, I'm going to tell you the four rules, and now I need you to repeat them back to me. She goes, okay, I got it. He goes, all right, well, here's the thing. You need to say these four rules, four tasks, every morning when you wake up and every night when you go to bed. And you need to repeat them when you wake up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom. Repeat them even then, because here's the problem. If you forget these four things, everything's going to fall apart. She's like, yeah, okay, it's fine. She's like, no, 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 you don't understand. You have to remember these four things where everything falls apart. She's like, okay. It's like, here's the last thing. You're in my country right now. The air is clear, things are good, but when you go down into Narnia, the air is thick. Things get confusing. Hardships are going to distract you, and you're going to misunderstand these four things. That's why it's so crucial to remind yourself of what I've told you. Now, in our lives, there are all kinds of disciplines and traditions in the life of the church that we cultivate. Reading our Bibles, praying together, reading prayers together out loud, singing songs, worship in silence, worship in solitude. These are things that we do to remind ourselves of the God we believe in, but to remind ourselves also of what God has done so that we can see what God is doing. And just as Jill had to remind herself of these four things, you can imagine the plot of a children's novel in about one more chapter. She forgot them all, and things fell apart. And that's what happens in our lives too, right? It's easy on Sunday morning. You get to see faces again for the first time. We've got amazing music and guests leading us in music. And we had an awesome picnic last week where we get to laugh and goof off and and feel like the weight is off our shoulders for about one and a half to two and a half hours on a Sunday morning. And things seem really clear about what's next. And then Monday comes and Tuesday comes and you know Wednesday comes and Wednesday is the worst because it's halfway, but it does not ever feel like halfway. And what was so clear in this place where things are good and our finances are stable and our relationships are healthy and happy and we feel good and our pastor's preaching, that's good. But when life actually happens, when your plans didn't go as you had hoped, when th- things fall apart, That's when it's hard to remember what God is telling us. Remember where God has brought us from and remember where God is taking us. But here's the thing for Jill in Narnia, and here's the thing for us. Regardless of whether or not Jill remembered what Aslan told her, Aslan was already on the move. Aslan didn't need Jill to do what he was going to do. God doesn't need us to remember to be working. And yet, if we remind ourselves of that, we can join God in the work he's doing. We tell these stories in the New Testament about the disciples and how they left Jesus in his hour of need. And yeah, Jesus rises from the dead and he spends another few days before he ascends. But I wonder, for the rest of their lives, did the disciples wish in that moment that they hadn't left that they'd stuck with 
Jesus, that they had trusted that the things Jesus had done before that Jesus was still going to do. I wonder if the Israelites, after losing their land, wished that they would have trusted God because God had already brought them through the Red Sea and God had already provided clean water and God had already provided them food and comfort in this promised land. And for all of us, I wonder, what are the things that we're not trusting God with in our lives because we've forgotten where he's already been at work? Because the kingdom of God is already among us. This isn't an escapist theology. We don't hope one day to get to some better place. Jesus in the Gospels tells us that the the kingdom is here. It's being made among us. It's us. It doesn't matter if it's Rome in charge of the Israelites or if our country is free or not free or if Jesus is king of Rome or if he's just a poor person born in a manger. The kingdom of God doesn't play by those rules. The kingdom of God is a place where we are transforming reality as we know it. And it's already happening. And the question is, are we going to join God in that transformation or are we going to stand and forget what God has already done. We remember so that we can join in the work, not so we can replicate it. That's trusting ourselves. It's not trusting where God's taking us. And so when we think about Israel, when we think about this this episode of three days later and two months later where the struggles began, remember the struggles are real. And God does not want you to lie about the struggles you are encountering in your life, in the life of this church, in the life of the world. When there's oppression and evil and gossip and hate and racism, still rampant worldwide. We're not just talking about Swickley or Pennsylvania or the United States. We're talking about the world. Things are not as they should be. And yet, the gospel of hope says that Jesus invites us in the work to make them as they should be. The question is if we will remember where he's been so that we can join in where he's taking us. Amen.